Welcome to the Independent Artist Podcast, sponsored by the National Association of Independent Artists. Also sponsored by Zapplication. I'm Will Armstrong, and I'm a mixed media artist. I'm Douglas Sigworth, glassblower. Join our conversations with professional working artists. Welcome back to the podcast, everyone. It's a stressful, anxiety-ridden, nauseating banter segment before this lovely talk with Erica Eyman. That's right. Well, there's a little bit of uh, pounding outside my window. They decided that they were going to uh, replace the siding on our house today ah. after we had uh, hail damage a year ago. And okay. they were supposed to show up nice and early and get that taken care of. And, well... It's mm. gone a little bit long, so uh, I think they should stop Speaking soon. Speaking of um, yep. podcasts and hail damage and, and whatnot, I got uh, photographs here just earlier from our good friend David Mayhew, the storm-chasing nice. photographer. Right. Um, he's going to be a future guest, and he, he sent me some shots of the hail damage that literally smashed his windshield and mm. um, even side windows. Like, what? this guy's nuts. He's, so but. he's like, he's chasing the storms, and that shit's all coming down around him, and Oh sure, yeah. yeah. He's he's in the shit, it's, as Bill Murray said. In um, that's no, it wasn't Bill Murray. It was the guy Rushmore? Oh, as they say in Richmore, were you ever in the shit? Okay, that's right. He's he's been in the shit. Okay, well, there you go. All right. Anyway, speaking of Bill Murray, I spent all of Jazz Fest looking for Bill Murray this year because of your post mm. on social media. Well, you know, you can't find Bill Murray if you're looking for him. That's that's the the laws of Bill Murray. You'll never see him if you're looking. Well, I guess my uh, my point is I wasn't specifically looking for Bill Murray, but somebody of the celebrity ilk, you know, since mm -hmm. you had that. Did you, you didn't run did you run into any celebrities? Well, here's the thing, at the end of Jazz Fest, we were not too far from the Blues Tent and so okay. Melissa Etheridge was performing there. Wow. And uh, which she could have been easily you know, on the main stage. So I'm kind of surprised they put her in the blues tent because the crowds were just like insane. Anyway, okay, we were parked just behind the blues tent. Um, they put us there because of my my uh, handicap issue. And I'm walking back and forth doing a little pre-packing. She's the last act for the whole weekend, grabbing boxes. And I'm thinking, that is her, that's her what do you call it? Her, um, what do they call those? Tour bus. Tour, there's her tour bus right there. I'm thinking, I wonder if I just walk really slow by here, if I could get a celebrity yeah. sighting on her way to perform. <laughs> <laughs> did you get one? I did not. I did All not. Right. But that okay. leads me to a different story about that whole scene. So the crowds were so packed outside our booth waiting to see her perform. And the tent was full and the 50 to 100 feet between the tent, just standing room only, backed up. So there's people's backsides all the way up against our booth and standing Got there. a little log jam there in front of your booth, exactly. a little blood clot. Yeah. All right. So this, yeah. uh, these nice ladies had threw a blanket down on the hard concrete and sand. and In front of your booth? Just right there, right on the entry of our booth there. And they're sitting there kind of leaning against some of the panels. And I'm thinking, you know what? It's the end of the show. We're about to break down. Let them have their fun. So we're sitting there, Renee and I, having a nice little end of show chat, kind of planning what we're going to do to get the heck out of there like we all do. And suddenly one of the women starts putting her hands up against her throat like she's mm. choking. And I'm like, uh, Renee, I think she might be choking. And Renee doesn't mess around. She's had a history with people. <laughs> And yeah. <laughs> who were like choking before. So she knew you don't wait. So she's like, sure. excuse me, ma'am. She hops up. Excuse me. Are you choking? Are you choking? And she's 
got the hand on the chest. She's nodding up and down. And, and she's like, we got to do something and getting her friends to acknowledge that that her fr- their friend is having a problem. Wow. So it starts to get kind of scary. And then the lady looks at us. She was able to spit out asthma, asthma, uh, right? So she's having trouble yeah. breathing. Renee's like, do you have your inhaler? We've got a lot of energy here ramped up with this lady. <laughs> this, you know, okay. the friends are starting to panic too because we're getting them worked up. And she's trying to communicate to us that this is no big deal. So the only mm. way that she could get us to calm down was to walk away, <laughs> walk oh away from us. So we would just yeah. leave her alone. You were giving her asthma. <laughs> we That's, like it's all anxiety driven and everything. Maybe she was getting a little excited about Melissa Etheridge. She was like, maybe she'll do come to my window. <laughs> and then she starts to asphyxiate. Like, my God, you're like the panicking glass blowers. Totally. So, yeah, that was oh our that was our, our nice end to uh to a good show, so to have that mm-hmm. that crazy experience. <laughs> Absolutely, I've told I've told many stories, and I can't remember whether I talked to you or the show or David Mayhew. But uh, have I talked about my celebrity sightings at at Jazz Fest besides Bill Murray? Besides, not besides Bill Murray. Bill Murray was one I yeah. remember. You know, this guy comes to the booth, and he's he looks sharp but casual. Mm. If that makes sense, mm-hmm. you know, he's got like a nice shirt on, button down shirt, uh, kind of stylish, like, right? Dark, yeah, style, dark jeans, cowboy boots. And um, whoever I told the story to last time was like, so you. <laughs> like, like, oh, okay. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, that's, I was looking that's in fine. a mirror, basically. <laughs> oh, oh, yes, I'm so fancy. Uh, but anyway, I'm like, I really wanted to go see Beck. And I'm talking to, nice. to Susie and I'm like, I, God, I just really, I want to go over there and see Beck. And she's like, yeah, just go. It's fine. Yeah. And I'm just talking to this guy. And I'm like, I'm sorry, buddy. Uh, I'll leave you in the able, you know, my, the much more capable hands of my wife. She's the artist. And I hit the road and went over to see Beck. And as I'm walking over there, I'm like, God, I, I hope that wasn't, you know, somebody. And right, I'm walking like, over to, to Beck. And, everybody is somebody, Will. Eh, some people less than others. You <laughs> know what I mean? <laughs> uh, like, it was Steve Miller. Steve Miller band. Okay. And I totally big leagued him. You know, I'm just you didn't like deserve Steve. you didn't deserve him. Well, <laughs> I, I was looking at the Jazz Fest uh, Instagram feed later on. and I'm like, oops, there's that Steve guy. Miller. Like, sorry, buddy. Like, yeah. What well, well, is can you think of another celebrity that is less recognizable than Steve Miller? Like, I, I don't recognize him and I'm even trying to picture him right now. Yeah, so, he just, yeah, he's probably late 60s to 70s, you know, early 70s, maybe mm-hmm. just white guy. Average looking white guy, average yeah. white songs, right? Yeah. Well, there certainly were plenty of people walking in the booth that had that style you're talking about. And you're like, you look like you could be someone, but I'm right. not quite sure. I can't put my finger on it. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Well, that's uh, celebrity sightings there, Jazz Fest. That's good. Yeah, yeah. How was, how's uh, your last show been? You came from Greenville. Yeah. Uh, the drive was fucking brutal. Absolutely yeah. just. You know, elbow throbbing, you know, uh, uh, brutal. It was a it was a good, you know, I mean, I guess getting to Greenville actually was not as bad. The first day I enjoyed the, you know, I, I had built it up in my mind as I like, I just am really tired of driving right now. Okay. Um, uh-huh. Everything is so far from where I live. It really is, man. It's like, you know, it's 14 hours. It's like, oh, Texas, it's close. It's bordering. And I'm like, well, you got to drive through like factory farms and everything smells awful and, and mm. all the sadness and it's just it's gross and uh mm-hmm. getting to anywhere it's like 14 hours it's like 14 Damn. hours to bayou city and 12 hours to this and it's just i don't know i'm tired of driving yeah 
Yeah, that sucks. I mean, but, I was thinking about the fact that I've got four shows coming up uh, here, starting in, which sounds like a lot, but they're all four hours from home. It's like a mm. good old Midwest tour here. I get to come home probably with it before noon the next day. I'll be home in the studio. So that that changes things. And when you're like all the way cross country and you're kind of like you're there and it's going to be days yeah. to get home. So that changes things. I haven't I haven't driven that that. Uh, short of a distance since I left the East Coast and would drive to like mm-hmm. Alexandria or something from Richmond, but everything is, you know, I'm I'm thinking about close shows like from, you know, we're getting ready to leave for Minnesota this weekend mm-hmm. and I'm looking at, oh, I, my next show is Old Town. That's only nine hours away. Like, mm-hmm. oh, that's a short distance. And I got nine hours that and then the next weekend I've got Lakefront Mm-hmm. I'm like, do I even bother going home? Like nine, like a full day of driving. Another full day of driving means only one full day at home. Mm-hmm. Do I even bother? Should I just And it's stay? a Friday. It's a Friday show set up on Thursday. So yeah. you are really a short week. So Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, it's a set up Thursday. I can't drive. I'd have to leave on. Logistic nightmares. That's for sure. Yeah. The, whole th- the whole goddamn career is. Yeah. <laughs> Hi, I'm your podcast host. I'm tired of my career. Brightness and shiny today. Yeah. Can we get uh can can we get some more money for this podcast by any chance so we can I, I can just retire and flap my gums? <laughs> <laughs> shitty things about people. <laughs> that's what you that. call Easy Street. <laughs> yeah. Oh, hi. I'm just going to talk to people. And they're like, that's the guy that used to do shows. <laughs> oh, man. But you asked on my last show. It was artistry. Yeah. And um, yes. have you ever done that one? Never. No. Nope. Okay. Greenville, South Carolina. Um, it's a little weird um, in that Greenville is like aggressively friendly. Like really, like a green like green villas or people who come to that show. I mean, maybe it's the people that come to the show, but every everybody that I've met that is from Greenville or in Greenville is is like so friendly. I'm almost like, you know, I Richmond has kind of got like more of a, I don't know where I grew up. It's more of a kind of mean, mean. Yeah, it's a little more northeast kind of feeling. Okay. You know, All it's right. a more a little more New York, Boston, Philly kind of feel. It's a little like like that. It's not as southern, I guess. And uh you get down south like down to Greenville and people are like really nice and they come in and I'm like are y'all making fun of me? Like I feel like, <laughs> you know, like how they're so friendly. I'm like wondering kind of what's up. Like what's, what's the what's the catch? Yeah, what, what are you? They're like, oh hi, how are you? Yeah. Oh, you're so great. Your your work is so amazing. And it's like oh, I love that. No, I mean it. It's amazing. Well, thank you. No, I, you don't understand. It's amazing. I'm like, fuck, get out of here. I can't, I can't. I don't even. I can't even look you in the eye anymore. It's like eh. it just got weird. <laughs> yeah, you made it weird. You made it weird. I don't know, That's... but it's it's so nice, and people cool. are so lovely. And I should look up the name of the artist that I was next to because that that well, there was Adam, the boxed music guy. Oh. He's he's awesome. He's hilarious cool. and a great neighbor. If yes, I know the work. Yeah, cool, cool stuff. It is. I got to admit, um, drum circle sounds are like just below like. A monkey that found a pot and a spoon like that's where it lands on the musical hierarchy for me okay. like so monkey with a pot and a spoon like gang, 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 gang. like you know at a shitty like snake farm zoo okay like, you got that and then you got below that you got uh hippies doing a drum circle 
And it sounded a little drum circle to me. Okay. And on the other side, I had a big double booth of uh, just the loveliest uh, couple. I should look up mm. their names, but uh, a young couple, two lovely kids. They're doing digital and mm. some like kind of Renaissance colors and stuff. And then I should, nice. I, should, um, cool. I know their names, but I can't remember the business name. So I should just shut up, but whatever. They're, <laughs> they're lovely. Well, before Greenville, we had the pleasure of being directly across from each other at Southlake. And that was kind of interesting to when see was your that? big. That was like last year, wasn't it? It was like, yeah, many, many moons ago. <laughs> but listen. <laughs> oh, well, that's right. Because I talked to Camille about it when I ta- interviewed Camille, because I just okay. finished and then interviewed. But uh, so I talked to her about it. And then, like, yeah, we never got a chance to, to chat about it. That's true. We haven't. Right. Mm. Um, but it was kind of a bizarre experience sitting directly across from your big double booth. And you're looking at my big double booth. We're right in line with each other. And I mean, at first, when we were sitting there, I look over and I'm like, taking in your work and I'm like, I'm really enjoying it. I'm enjoying all the subtlety in your pieces, your layering and the sheet music and all of it. Just totally cool. And then the crowd starts coming. And, you know, I'm pretty comfortable at at a show. I kind (laughs) of know that I... I do draw eyes. You know, people will walk and they'll see the glass and they'll just do the ooh kind of thing, right? So at the beginning of the show, it was quite an experience. I'm seeing the crowds walk. They look to the right. They see my booth. They look to the left. They see your booth. And then they keep looking at your booth. (laughs) And they keep walking. (laughs) Okay, I know I'm going to get my crowd, but in the beginning, I'm thinking, Will's winning this battle. Will's getting all the eyes right now. <laughs> oh man, I, that's that's wild. I, there are. It's funny you bring that up because there are people that I don't want to be uh, right next to. You know, okay. I yeah. feel like I can hold my own against just about anybody, and then sure. all of a sudden I'm like, I would like to go to dinner with Dolan and Allie Marie, but I don't want to <laughs> have them right next door. That's okay. a little, it's just a little too sexy, just a little too much, you <laughs> too know? Much, yeah. <laughs> but that's, you know, you got that booth and it's like, I've said this again and again, you got like a pace and a half, right? It's to get true. across that 10 feet and like, right. boom, boom, and you're crossed it. So if something happens, that's why we get all these I mean, I could do a show 10 years in a row. There's no way I'm not going to have somebody come up into my booth and say, oh, is this your first year? Exactly. I mean, I thought that was actually looking. Right. I mean, it was a really good point that that Camille made about your last talk where it's funny how that happens to us as artists that they'll come every year and then suddenly you're you're the new thing, even though you've been in, you know, you've been there, you've been in the same spot or whatever, whatever thing that could make you, you know, recognizable from year to year. It's, It's really funny that. That the, whatever hits that year is what it is, you know? Right. And sometimes they're not even like they may have, may have seen you, but they're not really ready for it mentally. Right. Like they're not ready to, you know, commit to, you know, one of your uh, tower installations. But and yeah. then, so therefore they, they're like, yep, didn't see anything like that last mm. year. But I'm like, mm-hmm. well, it was, it was here in the same spot. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. Um, like different colors, maybe. But yeah, right. Yeah. And if they're ready for it or or maybe they went home and they they didn't think they were ready and it's like you know, subtly got inside their head and then they come back to buy the next year. Boom. And I do think sometimes collectors, they show up with a list in their head, like, you know, that spot over the couch, I really want something there. So they might have, they might have tunnel vision about what they're looking for. Might be a certain 2D kind of piece that they might be looking for. So. Yep. Jewelry, coffee mug, monkey banging on a pot. (laughs) Welcome to the road, everyone. Welcome to the road. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I don't want to hear anybody's booth, you know, it, yeah. it boils down to that. 
Well, it uh, reminds me of a conversation that I had with Jeff Zachman at, uh, at my last show. Mm. Uh, Jeff Zachman, kinetic artist. He's the one. <laughs> <laughs> yes, well. <laughs> rolling balls down clink, his clink, kinetic clink. sculpture all clink, weekend. Clink. I hope I don't get this wrong because I don't want to offend him. I'm trying to remember the story that he told I, me. I'm going after everybody verbatim. today. <laughs> he said he was next to an artist who she shall remain nameless. Mm. And uh, she said, oh, I'm so glad you're my neighbor this weekend because um, – you get to get all the idiots in your booth or something along the line. You get the you get the people who just want to look at shiny ball going through the, you know, the falling yeah, yeah. down thing. And I said to him, I go, was that offensive? I mean, did you find that offensive? He goes, oh, hell no. I thought it was hilarious because I do. I do get those people standing yep. in my booth. Hey, I wanted to bring this up. That was kind of funny. Uh, there was uh, some knucklehead was online talking about it was like the, the stupidest post I think I've ever seen. Um, nah, it wasn't stupid. Nah. Oh, it was dumb. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah, that was dumb. I'm throwing your words out at you. I know, I know. <laughs> I mean, somebody came up with this topic and they're like, uh, maybe this would shake up the art fair world or be interesting if uh, people would let you jury in with one thing and then just show whatever the hell you want. And it's like, I mean, I just I did respond. Nah, <laughs> like it's it was so ignorant that I was kind of like, well, why is anyone even talking about this? Giving like, it any oxygen, right? Right. It, it just I mean, that's it. The, like the very definition of cheaters right definitely right i mean if you want to show the the stuff and and granted there are there are so many artists out there and we got one on the show today that yes. have two different bodies of work that uh work beautifully together it just exquisite uh, space when you walk into her booth erica Iman. she's yep. jurying in with uh she sends her ceramic jury in slides in and then yep. she sends her paintings in yes. and then she's got the same booth shot hey here's what they look like together that's or right. I would assume, right? Did she say that on the show? I can't we remember. We didn't talk about booth, booth, booth image. Um, we did not, no. But, yeah. she but did, anyway. She does talk about the fact that, you know, it's a challenge if they don't both get in together because the display is kind of integral now that both right. bodies of work just work together. So, And you're kind of, I mean, I don't want to disparage any juries that don't let in both bodies of work, but you have to be a fool if you didn't let both of them in because it looks so cool together. Uh, yeah. I mean, it, it makes total sense for sure. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's kind of what my reaction to this this post was, which, like you had brought up in your responses, a lot of words that people were giving was going to get through to anybody. Very verbose. It was very like, verbose. I, do we need like that? Just it's just like it's like a child walking up and you're like, I want free ice cream for everybody. It's like, well, <laughs> Billy, ice cream costs money, so you know, <laughs> lovely idea. But, like, why would you even give their, like, free pizza party? Okay, Billy, that's not going to happen either. I well, just, like, I was I just know. trying to say in my own way that that system does exist. Just submit two applications, three applications, five applications, and show the work together. It's, it's right. there. It's not like you can't show multiple bodies of work. They just have to get juried. That's the whole point. Mm. So. Submit right. your apps. I mean, that's why there's a jury. There's a little catch-all that keeps yeah. you from bringing your, you know, your macrame flower holders in with your paintings. I hear, I hear Spiller's doing that now. Macrame. Her, macra her macrame game is on point, it my man. pretty oh, damn awesome. Oh, it's, it's she, she doesn't do macrame. All right. She, she might. She she I don't might. know. Yeah, she but. weaves it out of cat hair. <laughs> <laughs> smells, smells like ammonia. Okay. Jesus. Well. 
Back to Erica. Here is Erica Iman. I had a really great time with her this week, and I was kind of surprised. We talked, you know, we nerded out a little bit on craft. I didn't know some of the directions we would go with it, but I loved the whole point about risk. And so when you get to that part of the talks, just know that that, that was one of my particular favorite parts of this conversation. Yeah, that's, yeah. That, that really was a shining spot, uh, too, as well as her, her demeanor as well, mm-hmm. which I really, I, I feel like it matches the work. There's a subtlety and a a calmness about her uh, that seems to come across in her work as well as the way she speaks. And I I feel like like my wife always says that that we all kind of look like our work. She thinks everybody kind of looks like <laughs> I thought work. that was you... people look like their dogs, but <laughs> no, no, no. I mean, yeah, sometimes. But uh, there's an element of like a, a, an Ed Pribble sculpture that even when he's carving Batman, I'm like, Ed, that looks like you. <laughs> but yeah, there's an element of like, I, I definitely look like I've walked out of one of my paintings and yeah. Um, you and Renee look like you're floating on the wall with the, in the garden with your balls of, you know. <laughs> We're I so know. colorful. Such you colorful are very characters. colorful. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> All right. But, um, Enough yeah, about get... us. Here's Erica. So here's Erica no, more Iman. Me. <laughs> Erica Iman from Kansas City, Missouri. This episode of the Independent Artist Podcast is brought to you by Zap the digital application service where artists and art festivals connect. You know, Will, I started applying last week for next season's art shows. And I just really love that with Zapplication, we can categorize our shows by favorites. And then I can go in and sort those favorites by application deadline. So I never miss an application to one of my favorite shows. It's true. It has lots of different options, lots of different add-ons and tags that we can use. And there never seems to be enough time. I just got home from a show. I need to get back into the studio. There's pieces to be made, but applications are coming due. I'm so busy with all of the other hats that I wear to go on to other websites to apply to shows. To be honest, I don't even do it. I only go to Zap. Yeah. And basically, if I don't have to think about it, then I'm a happy man. Okay, we have a call to entry this week for the Edina Fall into the Arts Festival in Edina, Minnesota. That is one of the Minneapolis area shows. It's a fall show coming up on September 9th and 10th of 2023, but the deadline is uh, more quickly approaching, folks. When is that, Douglas? The deadline on that is June 9th, and Edina's a pretty sweet little area in uh, Minneapolis. It's a Got a lot of boutiques and nice shops, pretty affluent area. Yeah, if you're looking for a show in that particular area, if that's how you plan it, your schedule, you're looking for a Minneapolis-based show, the Edina area is a safe and welcoming, uh, beautiful area. Centennial Lakes Park is a prime location for an art fair, as is said on their website, and it's a beautiful location there in the Midwest. So if you'd like to check out this show, log on to this application and look up Edina Fall Into the Arts and... And check out all their information. Yep. Uh, Deadline is June 9th. Coming up fast, folks. Is the pronunciation of your last name Iman? It is. Yep, that's right. Okay. Not like uh, David Bowie's wife. Right. No, no. It sounds (laughs) Iman. It's much fancier, but yeah. It does. You could actually adopt that if you wanted it. I know. I should have just gone with that, at least for like the studio name or something, right? (laughs) Exactly. Well, Erica, thank you for joining me today. I'm looking forward to our conversation and getting to know each other. Yeah, same here. Yeah, sure. we don't really know each other that much. Uh, no. Kind of, no. 
just kind of came on each other's radar lately. And I'm like, you know what? I think I want to talk to you. So we'll see yeah, what happens thanks. today. Well, I appreciate the invitation. Yeah. yeah, for sure. Well, a funny little story that, um, not a funny little story, but a little story to kind of get us started that uh, I was talking to Camille Marchese recently. And um, you were exhibited at her show, Coconut Grove, this year. And yeah. uh, you had kind of a good experience, right? <laughs> yeah, a- amazing experience. So, yeah, I listened to the podcast from this week that you released. And, uh, yeah, it was great. I mean, I'd never done any Florida shows before, let alone Coconut Grove. But, yeah, it was it was great. Well, yeah, I'm God. trying to give you the opportunity to tell us about your big prize win. <laughs> <laughs> so, so tell me about yes. that part of it. You won the big okay. prize at okay. that show. We'll start out with the big prize. Yeah. <laughs> yes. I got best of show and it was amazing. I mean, I was completely blown away, completely surprised. Uh, a funny thing was, is they came by with this um, kind of bagpipe sure. uh, marching band. Right. <laughs> Maybe this is a usual thing. This is the first time I've been there. So, no, actually, but, um, I, that's what I was kind of interested in. Oh, Cam- really? Camille said she wanted to bring in kind of that pomp and circumstance that they did at Winter Park and ah, wanted okay. to cut, but she couldn't get the marching band. So she said, well, I guess a bagpiper ah. will do. <laughs> right. Well, there were multiple and it was a large group coming through and it was so loud. Was it? It was coming through and it was just enough room for them to come through. So it really cleared the crowd out. And then I see Camille just kind of like through the bagpipes, you know, oh. um, and she's kind of like peeking at me like, hey, and she's like pointing at me. And then I'm like, what? Oh, okay. I'll come out. What's going on? She couldn't get through because the band was still marching by and yeah uh, anyway it was a it was a funny experience so well what she um, told me and I if I get I wonder if I'm getting this right or if this is what you what you noticed they were doing their their procession to your booth and she says they're walking along and she's looking back and forth and looking side to side and all of a sudden she looks <laughs> over and she sees you in your booth looking out at the you know at the spectacle and she's like yeah. wait a minute that's where we're supposed to be going right now. And the oh. bagpipers had to stop and turn around and come back and okay. catch you. <laughs> I was wondering, like I said, it was like she couldn't even get across to me. So it was like a, this kind of like she's just like waving at me from the river of the bagpipes coming through. So, yeah, it was it was funny. <laughs> well, congratulations on that. That's really exciting. Thanks. It was very exciting. So- and it was just an amazing show, like weekend, you know, all of that kind of came together. So yeah, it was great. <laughs> well, the first thing when I heard about you winning was I know that you show in two mediums. So did you win best in show for your both your bodies of work or was it that they choose one? So I think it was just kind of an overall, like, okay. I don't think it was, yeah, one or the other. So yeah, I think it was just the combo. Okay. So tell me about that. Tell me about how you work in 3D and in 2D. Yeah. Well, so I, I mean, I've worked in clay for over maybe 20, over 20 years. So maybe like Mm -hmm. 23 years now. I went to school for clay, just had a lot of experience in that. And then the paintings really came about just in the last five years. I've kind of really developed those and started showing them within... I guess you could say it in the last five years, but really art fair wise, just the last three years, I would say. So oh, okay. um, the paintings are actually made out of black iron oxide. So one of the colorants that I use in my ceramic glazes. So really, mm-hmm. I just started experimenting with those materials. And that's how the paintings came about. And you're so, not working with brushes, right? It's a, right, it's a, right. a, 
different technique? Yeah, yeah. So um, really, it, it all started with it, like just raw material experiments. So the things that I had in the glaze studio and the ceramic studio, I just started noticing the materials doing some really interesting things naturally on their own mm -hmm. um, and just wondered how I could kind of capture that. Back when I was in school, I did a little bit of experimentation with clay slips and things on paper and uh, some other oxides and things. So it kind of stemmed from that, which was about 10 years ago. So, um, okay. but then, yeah, within the last five, I've really tried to develop them into more finished works. And so the black iron oxide, um, I'm mixing it with water in different proportions, and then I'm pouring it onto a prepared panel at this point. Okay. And I'm kind of just, as I'm doing it, the panel is vertical. And so I'm kind of drawing and pouring at the same time. So I'm kind of drawing the forms out, but I'm allowing the material to really run down the panel. Like I said, I just started experimenting with the material and seeing what it did on its own and then noticed that beautiful branching details and thought, okay, now how can I use that and show that in the work? Um, it also has a really nice kind of atmospheric um, kind of wash effect. And so mm -hmm. as I build up hundreds and hundreds of layers on each piece, um, it can really show kind of a, a almost a misty depth to the, um, it does. to the work as well. So Yeah, you can kind of tell like the darker oxides versus maybe, I don't know if you use different concentrations or more watered down to give that sense mm -hmm. of depth in mm -hmm. your pieces. So it's, it's like, it might be a horizon yeah. of the mountains, a, a tree landscape or or something. It gives that real natural, almost minimal, but yet ethereal kind of feel to it. Yeah, yeah, thanks. So I'm mixing it as I'm uh, painting. So it's very much feels like a performance piece. Um, mm. I have to keep the piece fully wet mm. or else the material starts to really stain and embed into the surface. But if I want to go back in and work and kind of wash out and lighten areas, I have to keep the piece like wet the entire time. So really, I have a pretty short window of time that I can work on the piece. So when you talk about layering, it is yeah. really an in-the-moment layering. It's not like you'll go through and do a pour, let it dry completely and come back. Is it all real, like, right. spontaneous? Yeah. And it, Most of it, yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And little happenings, you know, or, you know, I'll be pouring in one spot and like this beautiful little kind of, uh, kind of a little arch forms early in the painting where the uh, surface is dry and there's a little bit of tension on the surface. And so the material will make these little kind of arched, little details. And mm -hmm. so when that happens, often I'll try to preserve parts of that and kind of adjust my idea of what I'm trying to make. So I'm very much in the moment responding to the piece as I'm making. Mm -hmm. So I'm making a choice whether to go darker or lighter in an area. So I'm mixing it, yes, proportionally with water, sometimes just pure water if I really want to go in and lighten an area up. Mm -hmm. um, and then on occasion, I will let the material set for just about 15 minutes. And that's enough to really embed some of the texture and the material on the surface. And then if I go in, it'll have a very slightly different effect it will uh, kind of cut through the material in a sharper way, if that makes mm -hmm. sense, mm -hmm. um, as opposed to like a wash and kind of a bleed effect. So, so occasionally I do let it sit, but it's only for about a 15-minute oh, <laughs> period of time. Right. And that's, yeah. So to me, I mean, uh, I'm, I'm having a lot of connection to what you're describing with being a glass blower. It feels very yeah. similar to our process. It, yeah, it's all right? kind of a one-shot 
you're in in it as you're doing it and you're reacting kind of intuitively to what the material is doing. Right, um, right, exactly. Is that what you're describing? Yeah, definitely, definitely. Like, you know, you notice a a certain blend happening in this area or you see something just spectacular that's like happening. I'm thinking, I'm picturing in glass, you know, like a twist mm. of colors and things and like, and then just going with that and trying to um, even use those uh, little happenings to enhance the painting or whatever it is. Right. So yeah, it's um, with glass, you know, the, we have the heat component, so mm -hmm. it changes what we're looking at. Do you feel like you have a little bit of that? Like, your experience will tell you that when it dries, that this piece is going to look how it has in the past. But when you're actually working it, it'll have a different kind of an, an effect. That's my experience with glass anyway. Yeah, a little bit with the painting. I mean, as it dries, it uh, tends to lighten up. Uh, quite a bit. And then, but once we seal it again, it will kind of pull the richness and the detail back out once I put a mm -hmm. seal it with the varnish. So there's a little bit of that happening, though I feel like with the painting, it's a little bit more, you know, what you see is what you get as opposed to the ceramic work is very much on that. You know, right. Because then you, you fire it, right? You yeah. fight once it's fired, you come back and the next day and like, ooh, I like what happened yeah, there. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And I have kind of developed a certain glaze palette within the ceramics that it's, it's very sensitive. So even like if it's a warm day versus a cool day where my kilns mm -hmm. are and how slowly that cools, whether it's like 50 degrees an hour to 100 degrees an hour, the glaze comes out very different. Um, and so... There's definitely an element of surprise when I open the kilns to a certain extent, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, you have such a long history with ceramics. What prompted you to branch out and kind of take the aesthetic that you have developed three-dimensionally? What made you want to get into painting? Yeah. Um, you know, it just, it really happened organically. Like it, there wasn't kind of you know, I'm going to start doing paintings now, or I want to develop, you know, into a different medium. It really just came out of a curiosity with the materials, noticing again, like even on the inside of the glaze buckets that I'd be mixing, you know, you'd have that oh. separation of material on the sides. Yeah. Um, and it's that similar texture that I have in the painting work. And so I had a show um, here in Kansas City that uh, said, well, we have some wall space. And at the time, I really wasn't making any ceramic wall work. And I was like, you know, I kind of played around with some paintings several years ago. You know, maybe I'll just try doing that again. And so a little bit here and there, I made a couple paintings for that show. And then I started getting more curious and more curious about it and just trying mm -hmm. to affect it in the, the details. So uh, yeah, it kind of just slowly crept in. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, I can relate to what you're saying because we also work, we work within the same, our, our same medium. So our 2D work and our 3D work is still glass. So it's mm -hmm. not like we have to apply in separate categories. Sure. But I would say shortly before the pandemic and really during the pandemic, we really fleshed out this idea of how can our design aesthetic translate not just three-dimensionally on a pedestal, how can it also be on the wall and have them work together? Yeah. And do you find that your collectors will incorporate both bodies of work as one? I mean, they will display them at home like that? Yeah, that's funny. It seems like people either go ceramic or they either go paintings. <laughs> really? Okay. Yeah. So, usually yeah. I have some I have some kind of long-term customers that will they I've noticed after they'll 
like maybe by multiple ceramics pieces, they came at me through ceramics. Um, mm-hmm. and they've started to maybe buy a small painting, you know, but they're pretty set in their medium. It feels like, um, and I have so many people that come into my booth, even just last weekend, I had several people do this and uh, I had black cause like they'll come in and they'll be like, Oh, how do you make these? And I'm like, Oh, do you mean the ceramics or the painting? And they're like, Oh, you have ceramics too. Or the the That's opposite will happen. They'll be like, Oh, you have paintings also. Like they have they're not even noticing one or the other. They're just like blinders on and are attracted to one. So yeah. I I've had that experience too, where they'll go, When did you start doing this? And we'll be like, <laughs> right. Well, just about always. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but that whatever caught their eye initially. Yeah. You know, that yeah. was the thing. And everything else like becomes a spotlight and uh-huh. they're just zoned right, right in right. on yeah, that. Yeah, they just they saw something and that's all they noticed. <laughs> so yeah. Well, I'm surprised funny. actually they, from that story because when I look at your work, like if I look at a, your booth or you in your booth, I do think that the 3D and the 2D work go so beautifully together. And to me, somebody would just be like, this just totally makes sense. What you have sitting in front of this painting, mm-hmm. I want the whole thing. I want this. Yeah. I want this. I want what you got going on here. <laughs> well, thanks. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, it's hard for me to show just one or the other anymore because I just feel mm. like there's such a combo and uh, the booth just feels strange if it's just like, just paintings or just ceramics now. I occasionally do have someone that comes in and does just that. They're like, this piece sitting right under that painting is exactly what I want. Let's just wrap it up. They're meant to be. (laughs) Right. Well, have you run into a situation? I mean, during into one media sometimes is challenging enough, Mm. but have you ever had that tension between you get in and one and you don't get in on the other and you have to decide, well, what do I do? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. I feel very lucky that I've gotten into so many shows with both. I mean, mm-hmm. it just seems impossible at times. Um, so I yeah. feel very lucky, but definitely. I mean, we we have several shows. We just showed paintings down at Gasparilla. Um, again, it felt you know, strange like not having missing, the ceramics right? there, but yeah, yeah. Um, and then, you know, we've had the opposite where, you know, we just get in in ceramics, but I love being able to show the two together. So, and then often like my setup really isn't great for just showing the ceramic work. Mm. So, like I said, I don't really have wall work clay wise. And right. so we kind of tend to like, if we get in or we're kind of testing out, yeah. I guess I should say the just showing paintings, but pretty much if I just get in ceramics now, I just can't, it, it would right. require me to redo the booth and shelving and things like it that. Would, so, yeah, it would, so yeah, it would feel like you'd have to take a pass on that, on that show. Yeah. Unless yeah, both were, it is. yeah. Yeah. And I feel, like I said, I feel lucky enough that we're getting into enough shows with both. If that weren't the case, then I probably would have to reconsider and redesign the booth. (laughs) Yeah. Well, we've talked about the process of your paintings. And I kind of wanted to, um, before we discuss your ceramics, since it is really a long history, I want to kind of get into your Peace Corps work and your stuff that really influenced your body of work, kind of the experiences that you've had, you know, in your earlier years. So you were in the Peace Corps. When was that? Yeah, that was back, uh, let's see, that was 2005 to 2007. Um, So yeah, Mm -hmm. my husband and I went over to the Peace Corps. We were in Mongolia. We part-time taught English and then part-time did a gardening kind of neighborhood workshop 
project and library project, kind of doing just community projects that uh, we you kind of see a need for is what what Peace Corps requests. So, so yeah, were you during- an educator then that you said you went over mm-hmm. to teach. So were yeah. you a teacher at that point? Uh huh. Um, so I t- uh, my. F- first degree was in art education. (laughs) And so they said, oh, so you've had education experience, we'll place you where you can help with it was, you know, teaching English as a second language. Uh, Okay, yeah. Um, So, so yeah, and in the Peace Corps, they, the country requests for specific kind of educators to come in and Mongolia specifically wanted English teachers like second language oh. teachers. So, so yeah, we went over, did that. And like I said, it was about, it was only part-time. And so then you can really kind of get out in the community for the other part-time uh, of the work and do different projects. Is it a volunteer type situation? It, it is. Uh-huh. Yep. It's a volunteer organization through the government. Um, and it's set, it's set up pretty well. Like they take care of everything, you have great health care mm. and, you know, set up kind of safety and, and, uh, cause some places that Peace Corps goes are, you know, places that are a little more difficult. Mongolia is a pretty peaceful country. So, uh, there wasn't mm. much of that. But For yeah. those people who don't know geography that well, it's an Asian mm. country, right? Uh, mm-hmm. North of China. Yep. Sandwiched between Russia and China. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And what's yeah. the economic conditions there? Is it quite quite poor or what what are you experiencing yeah. there? Yeah, it's a pretty poor country. It's a really low population. There are a lot of uh other countries that are kind of exploiting their natural resources. Um, it's mm-hmm. uh, historically a nomadic culture and a lot of that has, they've been kind of pushed out of areas. There's not a lot of private land ownership, though now, you know, different businesses are coming in and trying to kind of buy up land. And so it's a real shift in culture for them. And then, you know, the city, especially the capital city, Ulaanbaatar, is pretty poor. Like there are a lot of kids living on the streets and down inside manholes. And uh, so it was, you know, it was a it was a pretty eye opening experience to see all of that. And and then still to be able to see the nomadic culture. And though they seemed somewhat poor, maybe especially compared to what you see, how people live in um, the United States. Mm -hmm. But really, they didn't seem like they seemed very comfortable in their lifestyle. And, you know, maybe they only had few belongings, but uh, they really loved their lifestyle of being nomadic and, you know, hurting. Yeah, yeah. So two separate worlds within one country, like high poverty in the cities, and then kind of this peaceful nomadic, like throwback to older times. Okay. Well, what inspired you and your husband to get involved in the Peace Corps? Uh, you know, I think we had just gotten out of school. I, like I mentioned, had done an art education degree. And then... Uh, and what was his focus? He was uh, he was a political science major, but then oh. minored in art history. So he was a little bit in- interested in art as well. But I think it was mainly just we were both ready for something, like to kind of get out of our own heads a little bit and do something that we felt like was for someone else. And, you know, we had all of this uh, focus on getting our degrees. And then it felt like it was time to, you know, like settle down and get a house and, you know, start some kind of a family life. And we're like, you know what, before we do that, let's, while we're, you know, not tied down, we can kind of get out in the world and just, you know, see Before the pressures of growing up and and doing like the formula, you you felt like you wanted to experience something like that. Yeah, yeah, just kind of 
get out and just feel like, yeah, we were doing something for others. So, you know, we, um, we probably had this kind of silly idea or even like hearing about like, oh, like you go over and you dig ditches for, Mm -hmm. you know, in another country or something. And it definitely wasn't like that. But I mean, Mm -hmm. it was, it, you know, was a life changing experience for the both of us. And, you know, we keep in contact with several people from our time there. And, uh, um, I know a couple of the students that we even taught there have made their way to the United States, uh, for college. Um, they don't really have great universities there. And so for them to go study somewhere else is a big deal. And mm-hmm. so, yeah, we, we, we enjoy keeping in touch. So do you feel like you have kind of this strong drive towards service and kind of learning about what else is out in the world? Is that what sparked it? Yeah. I, like I said, I think we just, we felt like we wanted to do something with our lives that felt like it wasn't just focusing on ourselves. We really wanted to like get out and try to do something that felt like it was going to help, help other people. Um, and then just kind of experience and see what, what it's like out there. Like what, you know, what other lifestyles are there and, and, you know, what's it like out in, in different countries and, yeah. uh, and how do people live? So that was part of it. Getting and out of our privileged bubble that we, yeah, that a lot of us don't even realize we're in, you know, honestly. Right, right, exactly. So yeah, it was, it was an amazing time. I mean, like I said, it was two years and we like lived, we lived with a host family to be immersed in the language uh, for several months, um, okay. which was interesting. So did you they, go without knowing the language? Right. Um, well, you know, Peace Corps kind of preps you a little bit. They give you like a CD to, at the time it was a CD <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> uh, to practice up a little bit. Um, yeah. but you know, you can only do so much. And so really the, th- we lived three months with a family that spoke no English at all. And that was what really, you know, like this is getting real. This skills. is right. <laughs> That's right. You've got to go to the bathroom. You got to know how to ask. So, <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. Well, so. so when you got there, were there, were there like some feelings of like, what did we get ourselves into? Were you nervous or was it exciting? What sorts of things were you experiencing internally? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, definitely. It was very hard at times. I mean, it was a pretty major culture shock and the food was very different and just the lifestyle, like all of it was, was pretty difficult. Um, but then I say once we once we got back to the United States, the culture shock coming back was worse. <laughs> so you were gone for so, how long? Uh, it was two years, about two and a half years. Once we and we kind of stayed over in Asia afterwards for a while, and then there's three months of training on top of that as well. So, so did you feel um, like so that two or so many years away from the U.S. at the like what you came? You said you came back to culture shock into the U.S. Was it like coming back to what you knew or did it feel like things kind of kept moving in two years and there was still like there was like learning new things like was kind of the new normal in the U.S.? I think what it was was like it did, It felt like the U- the United States was fairly similar to what we had left. Um, mm. I think we had gotten so used to the lifestyle over there. It was much slower. Um, we lived kind of out in rural areas. It was very peaceful. There were no billboards at the time while we were there. Mm. Um, it's very like the commercialism is, you know, pretty small. You know, even we got used to the food, uh, you know, like oh. uh, transportation where you just had to like you might have to wait an hour, two hours if it ever comes, okay. <laughs> you know, that kind of stuff. And I think we just really got into that feel. You know, you, you live pretty close to the earth there, you know, right. um, 
And so I think coming back from that, it felt a little overstimulating to come back to the oh. United States. Um, you know, like fast food or anything like that just killed yeah. <laughs> our stomachs coming back. And, you know, we're like, oh, wow, this is interesting. You know, it's pretty, pretty shocking to kind of come back into like just kind of hyper culture and, yeah, even coming back, you know, like with family and friends, it felt kind of overwhelming, like, mm. like just so much to like make decisions on and, and people to visit. And whereas, you know, we had a small group of friends out there, but, you know, life was a very much slower pace. So <laughs> that's interesting. I can totally relate to what you're saying. It's like you get out of what is normal, the US and what, you know, the, Hyper stimulation everywhere you go, and then yeah. when you come back, you're like, "Whoa, was it always like this?" Right, <laughs> I mean, right. I know. How did I manage this before? You know, <laughs> why are we all so anxious? <laughs> right, yeah, right. <laughs> oh, so, exactly. did you try to bring any of that simpler type, you know, experiences from from over there yeah. back here in your in your everyday life? Yeah, I th I think so, and I mean, I think it heavily influenced my work. I mean the mm -hmm the peacefulness there and like these huge open landscapes where you just see the like slightest bit of a mountain ridge horizon. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, it was vast, like amazing and a little bit on the severe side as well, a little oh. bit overwhelming. There's just big, expansive open spaces. So I think a lot of that came into my work. Like I feel I feel like a lot of that sensibility and spaciousness, almost this kind of meditative space, um, mm -hmm. I feel like has come into the work. Um, I'm very interested in the raw materials and like the materials of the earth and how they react and, you know, kind of like freeze and thaw and cracking and rough textures versus, you know, soft um, forms, you mm -hmm. know, like river stones, weathered stones, things like that. Um, and so I think that Pulls I totally in. can see that in your in yeah. your work. It looks it looks very geological, landforms and all of that, and the textures are just, you know, it's like when you don't have, let's say, like our work, it's about the it's about the transparency and the the flow of color and whatever. But when your color is minimal, it lets you focus on other elements like texture, like form, like, you know, a visceral feel that yeah. you're getting. Yeah, from definitely. It. I mean, I try to, you know, really pare down as much as I can. And so I'm very focused on form. It has to just be spot on. Mm -hmm. um, and then same with texture or just the, the slight edge undulation and movement of the top edge of a bowl. Um, I love kind of having a little bit of a play in soft form versus kind of something a little more rough, uh, raw, kind of unrefined. Mm -hmm. um, so all of those, you know, I, I love having these just simple forms that really don't, your first thought isn't necessarily like the finger, the hand mm -hmm. of the maker, right? Mm -hmm. Whereas mm -hmm. a lot of clay work is about that, um, really showing the the hand of the maker. And so I like to kind of keep a clean form. I want like there to be a very strong, just emotional kind of intuitive feel, more of a, uh, you know, feeling that somewhere it kind of hits you in the gut or in the chest, that feeling first. And, cause, and that's mm -hmm. what I'm trying to find for myself. And so I hope that, you know, comes through into the viewer as well. I think you ride that balance of like, you were talking about that, that being refined, but yet also having it be raw. 
And so it's like, where is that balance, you know, between is this like, not like a perfectly centered wheel thrown piece of pottery, like a vessel or whatever. This is, it's like, it's hand built, right? The way you're creating your work is all hand built Mm -hmm. and shaped. And it is, you're right. There's like an emotional connection or reaction to what you're walking up and seeing because it is so different than what you expect when you think of pottery, for example. Sure, sure. Yeah. Yeah. I I, I like to balance that, like that kind of masculine, feminine, raw, refined, mm. um, you know, they have a real weight to them. A lot of them look very heavy, but then I thin the top edge out to give it a you know, something mm-hmm. very delicate. Um, most of the forms have a rounded, uplifted bottom also to kind of give that lightness and lift as well. But then, you know, that black glaze kind of brings the weight back into the piece. Yeah, I like that. I'm glad you mentioned just kind of that balance back and forth for sure. So, Well, like I, I see it because it also is something that we try and work on in our work. Because for example, when we work and I've talked about this on the pod, so mm. people are probably like, "Ah, stop talking about it." But it's the flow and the and the and the fluidity and the work. And yeah. how do you go from somebody walking up and saying that piece looks crooked <laughs> to being, "Oh my God, look at how it flows." Mm. You know sure, what I'm saying? Yeah. And it's like, where do you where do you feel like you feel confident that what you're putting out there isn't like somebody will look at it and think it's a mistake or something? You know what yeah. I mean? And I'm not I'm not Im- imposing that thought onto what onto your work, but that's what I think about when things maybe have yeah. that asymmetry or sure, something. Right. It. No, I definitely see a similarity in our works with certain forms and things like that. I too am looking for, again, that there's usually that sweet spot, right? Of like, yeah, I've taken mm-hmm. it too far, like too off balance. Yep. It's almost like that's the first thing that I notice and it feels off to me uh, versus that sweet spot where it's like, oh, it's just off just perfectly. Like just that barely out of round circle, right? Like just kind of pushed and bumped in a few places. It's like, that's how that landform was. It's Mm. like, that's how the glacier came through. Mm. And and it feels like it fits. It's not so out of balance that it feels manipulated or right, right. Or like a happening or something. Yeah, right. Like something, something happened to it, right? Like something hit it with like a, yeah. I watched a really cool interview recently. Actually, a couple months ago, you know the series on YouTube, uh, the Actors on Actor, where they sit down and they talk back and forth. It's very podcasty, um, and they talk mm. about their process. And it was Michelle Yao okay. and Kate Blanchett talking about their big roles that they oh, were just in. Okay, no, I don't know it. And um, uh, Kate Blanchett is talking about the creative process, and I feel like how you've described working intuitively and really being so in touch with the medium and allowing the materials to flow. It relates for me too, where as a creator, we ride that line between what we create, we risk destroying it. You know, that that idea of like, mm. we've gone too far with it. It's become overworked. Mm. And it's like, yeah. it's, that, it's that place where that makes us kind of like, it's like that adrenaline rush, you know what I mean? Where you're like riding mm. the edge. Yeah, right? Like if you don't take the risk, you'll never know the reward of that. Yes, yeah. exactly. Yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah, you- I I remember reading a book, the, um, well, I shoot, what was it called? But it was about the work, uh, He it was a um, craftsman book. Um, 
the workmanship of risk, I believe mm. is what he was talking about in the book and how that is what kind of really distinguishes us from say like something mechanical, right? Mm -hmm. That, that risk factor in the work. And he was talking again specifically about craft. Uh, and, uh, traditional craft artists and how, uh, you know, that's the, the pure magic in the work is if you don't take those risks, you'll never have that magic in the work, right? Because then it becomes more machined looking. Yeah. Um, you know, it's interesting, like certain forms I make over and over, but it still feels like there is this back and forth and back and forth pushing to find still that middle. I can kind of, uh, feel like I'm doing something. That something that feels a little bit risky, but then also there's a familiarity in there as well. So there's kind of, I feel like I'm much more in a comfort zone with risk now mm -hmm. uh, than I used to be. Whereas it used to be just like, well, just play around and see what you get. Whereas now there's a, you know, I find that kind of middle zone within that. Well, I'm sure when you see an inspiration, like when you were inspired you know, when you saw what was happening in that bucket and you're like, this could translate onto the wall and then yeah, you yeah. then you had that time where you could again rediscover play push it too far bring it back in on another piece right. kind of a thing right yeah yeah definitely and that's you know that's one reason i don't like commissions <laughs> <Totally>. <laughs> i feel i feel like i cannot like just let go i can't risk as much as i really want to um mm -hmm. and every commission i've ever made has had a self-consciousness to it and Absolutely. it looks rigid to me mm. and i feel like ah you know let's why don't i just try to make some pieces similar to that in the next round of work i make and we'll just see if it if you like them rather than like mm. let's do a solid commission here and sign on the line <laughs> I, I i like that and i've i've done both. And I would say that right. no matter what, even if it's like a $200 piece that seems kind of like a filler, you know, I still yeah. will stress myself out like what they saw know, right? or what they're picking out based on what they think they're getting. Yes. I'm afraid they're yeah. going to look at it and go, oh. Uh, and it's like, I can't deal yeah. with that stress. <laughs> I know. I can't either. And it just, I can see the stress in the work. And I just, I know it's not my best work is part of it, you know? Yeah. So I'd rather yeah. just make an attempt to make it, make a few, send photos, put them out, come to a show, whatever. And then yeah. they can experience yeah. the magic of whether they like it or not. <laughs> That's right. That's right. I, you know, I still will do um, commissions. I, I like doing it the other way where it's just a little more organic, but um, I still will do commissions, but I tend to now, like if it's a single piece, um, I'll set myself up with multiples yeah. and make two or three at least. It, it takes the stress off. Mm -hmm. And as long as that stress is out of my body, then, all, you know, I might, all three pieces might be perfectly, you know, wonderful. Yeah. But uh, if I'm just, if I just have one piece in front of me and it's like, this is what they want, I've got to look at the list again with, you know. <laughs> It's just too much. I, it's it's just not. I can see it in the work. Right. So. <laughs> right. Yeah. They might not see it, but we feel it, and it's that's true. You know, I know, right? Exactly. <laughs> I mean, because we know. Yeah, we know what feels fresh to us, but we've you know yeah. what our ideal might be. Yeah. Well, uh, so back to the the educator piece. So you were kind of going down a path of being an educator. But then did you veer away from that at some point or? Yeah, yeah. I started teaching middle school art and taught it for a couple of years. And I enjoyed the kids. <laughs> yeah. 
um, and the teaching mostly, but it was just such a rigid environment. And, you know, the, I, I felt like, uh, we, the teachers were held under this kind of magnifying glass and, and there were all these kind of rules. And there was this one teacher that came in one day and, uh, she said, Oh, I've got, you know, 22 years. I'm counting down to retirement. How many years? And I just sunk. Did you? She said 20, she had 22 20, left. She did. To yeah. think that, yeah. to think that you have over two decades to look forward to yeah. something. I mean, why can't you look forward to something like what's going to happen tomorrow? Right. I know. Well, she was already counting down and I just, you know, I could just feel it. And I was just like, you know what? I just can't do this. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, and I mean, I, uh, it was a multiple, you know, many things. Sure. I was still interested in going back and learning specifically. Like I had also studied, you know, taken multiple classes for art education, everything from ceramics, fibers, drawing, all of those things. But I knew that I wanted to go back and really create my own work and focus on a specific medium. So, so kind of all of those things together, you know, I just felt like the environment wasn't for me. And uh, like I said, it, you know, the kids were great and fun, mm -hmm, but mm -hmm. uh, just the atmosphere in general. Uh, and then I thought, you know, the best teachers that I had in my lives were they, they were interesting beyond the way they were teaching. You know, they had interesting lives and had done multiple things in life. And, you know, they really brought their lives and experiences into the teaching that they did. And so I thought, you know, if I'm going to be a teacher, I want to like go back and study, you know, and at the time it was either ceramics or metals actually, mm -hmm. and also just go get some life experiences. And, you know, that was probably part of the Peace Corps thing as well, like just kind of get out and experience the world. So, you know, I thought if I'll, if I come back to teaching, great, but for right now I need to go out and do some other things. So, was the middle school uh -huh. teaching before the Peace Corps? It was. Mm -hmm. Yep. Okay. So yeah. did the Peace Corps kind of change you towards a direction when you came back of pursuing art for yourself and mm -hmm. to kind of, you know, express what you wanted to do? Yeah. Yeah. I, I remember while I was in the Peace Corps, you know, I wasn't doing art at all. And uh, I was kind of visiting a few artists in the country trying to kind of get a feel for things. Uh, but, you know, it was a, a time more of reflection and kind of thinking about what I wanted to do with my life. And I knew probably halfway through the Peace Corps that I was really craving making something with my hands and getting back into mm -hmm. that again. And so, you know, that whole like uh, absence makes the heart grow fonder, right? Like yeah, not being right. even able to do it during that time really set me down the path of, okay, as soon as I get back, I'm going to be, I'm going to go back to school really study this um, and try to figure out how to make it more a part of my life of, of making things. So um, cool. yeah, and that's- I mean, yeah, that's the thing. When something is taken away and it's it's not there and you long for it, mm -hmm. then you know it's something real, that right. it has hooks in you. Yeah, definitely. I could, de I could feel it then. Whereas before that, I was kind of like, well, I could do this, I could do that. But, you know, once it was like, oh, you can't, you can't really do much to make uh, while you're over in Mongolia uh, in other ways. It was very much a clay thing for me at the time. Like I really craved working in clay again. And with them being a nomadic culture, they really had very little clay history 
you know, some places you go visit and they've got ancient kilns and a deep, deep history of clay. And Mongolia is not one of those countries. <laughs> well, you did find a place that had a deep history, right? You went to Japan and yeah. did some studying there. What was yep. involved with that? Yeah. So that was it right afterwards. So while we were in Mongolia, um, like I said, I decided that I really wanted to get back into clay, just full force, start making mm. again. Um, and so while we were there, I went ahead and applied for a um, it's kind of a workshop, ceramic workshop program in Japan. And so that way, instead of heading straight back to the United States, we headed just straight over to Japan to that okay. program right immediately. So so yeah, um, it was in Tokoname, Japan. It was, it's called the International Workshop of Ceramic Arts in Tokoname. Um, it's one of the six ancient kiln sites in Japan. It has a mm. long history of, of pottery and ceramic making. So um, mm. we hung out there for the entire summer and lived with the host family and got to travel. It was an amazing program. I don't think it's any, like, I think they closed the program down a few years ago, unfortunately. Okay. They took us around to multiple artist studios in the area, some really amazing places, museums. And then we also um, had a workshop where we got to work in clay, had multiple visiting artists come in and show us how to make traditional Japanese tea bowls and contemporary Japanese artists coming in. Had just a most amazing experience the whole summer. And of course, just experiencing Japanese culture and, and mm -hmm. uh, just way of life was, was amazing. So, um, and that it really drew me in. Like I loved getting back into clay, seeing how these other artists were making. Um, but also their lifestyle. Like I just loved how they pulled the beauty and ceramics. Um, there's such a uh, respect for pottery in, in Japan. Oh, there is. Yeah. There's like a, um, you know, there's the tea ceremony and how they hold the tea bowl and they're very, you know, ritualistic in how they hold it, how they present it to you, how the tea's whisked. And it's just, you know, it's just rich with that tradition. And really when I started uh, ceramics, that was kind of my introduction was tr through dr uh, traditional Japanese pottery. So this was a chance to really go and experience it. So, um, wow. Yeah. And it sounds like being kind of tied into their customs and their rituals and stuff like that. Yeah. But the artist, was it like that the artist was a little bit elevated or, or revered? Like they, they wouldn't call them the starving artist like we would in the U.S.? <laughs> right. No, it didn't. I'm sure there is some of that. But, you know, we definitely got to go around to the, uh, you could say, more successful artists. In a way yeah. that they've been doing it for years. And a lot of them were older, um, had, yeah, beautiful studios and had such a good rapport within the community, sold their pottery directly to people in the area and made a good living that way. Yeah, it, it was just a really, it, it was wonderful to see how integrated into the culture and just the lifestyle of all of that it was. So I feel like I really took that took that with me and I wanted to be an artist, but also I wanted it to be a lifestyle. I wanted to, mm -hmm. you know, it all to kind of flow and, and have art in my home. And, uh, you know, even I had done some wood firing here in the United States before that, but like, even like I have some images, but of their wood kilns and stuff, and they're just beautiful. They're just like built into the hillside, you know, kind of a mm. grassy green uh, hill in the background. And then this you know, beautiful form that the kiln itself, it's functioning to fire the, the pottery, but it, it itself is just a beautiful piece of work, you know, a beautiful artwork. Yeah. 
And so I just, yeah, I, I loved it. <laughs> it sounds like it fired in you this passion to, it, it just inspired you just to, to, to go down that path and to be like, this is, this is for me. And to be young like that and to be exposed to other cultures and to, to see how it's different from what you know, you grew up in, it is kind of like this, this wow kind of moment. Yeah, yeah, it definitely was. And just to even see, to see people being able to make a living doing art, uh, mm. and it be a part of and part of a lifestyle, you know, was pretty eye opening at that point. Like, I don't feel like I knew many people that were making art for a living and, mm. uh, and that that could even be an option. And, and do so, you come from a background that that would have you know, a family that would would think of an artist as a career or a way of life? Oh, definitely not. No, we were kind of more no. of a rural farming family and community. Mm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we didn't go to museums or uh, much of anything. There, I took a few art classes in high school, and that kind of sparked me a little bit into studying it in, in college. But other than that, it was pretty limited. But I mean, I feel like my sen- there's a lot of sensibility from just kind of that rural lifestyle, even that kind of pulls into my work. The hardworking um, but, aspect. But I wasn't ever encouraged or pushed into that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. That's cool. Well, I mean, I think it was a huge step for you getting out of college to be like, let's experience this. I feel like in today's society, I look at my kids who are in their young 20s, and I feel like so much of what they are planning for their future is what they're predicting has been shown to them already, either on the internet or YouTube Mm, videos or whatever. And just having yourself getting out of your comfort zone and going somewhere where you just experience life and allowing things to unfold in front of you is huge. I mean, yeah. that's that's a huge awakening of of options for you to follow and to get excited about. Yeah, I know. I see. I have some nieces and nephews that are um, kind of in like their early 20s. And I just want to tell them, like, just drop everything and go, like, go do whatever right. you're curious about. It doesn't have to be traveling the world, right? But just do some right. things that it's not about money or setting yourself up in a job or, you know, just about having experiences and, and finding what really kind of lights you up, right? And and you yeah. never know what that is if, it, if you haven't even seen or experienced it yet, right? Yeah, you can't predict what's going to light you up, as you say. It's like yeah. you have to, they just have to have it happen. It's yeah. spontaneous, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So were you able to, when you came came back to the U.S. and kind of start your life, were you able to bring some of that that sensibility of not letting the world that we're used to in the U.S., the overstimulation, were you able to kind of keep things more on a, on a natural level for yourself? Yeah. I mean, like I said, it was pretty shocking coming back, but I think we kind of knew that it was going to be uh, because mm-hmm. before we even came back home, um, I mean, we did some traveling over in Asia um, and went down like into Cambodia and Thailand and and did a little bit. And we knew that this was our opportunity because we wouldn't be able to like afford a, a you know another plane <laughs> ticket <laughs> back for a long mm-hmm. time. But uh, mm-hmm. so we kind of planned ahead and knew that if we came back and just moved right back to our hometown or around family again, that we'd probably easily slide kind of just right back into our old Mm. lifestyle. We felt so good about the experience we had and these ideas in our heads as to what we wanted to do with, you know, the next few years, if nothing else. Um, And so we said, well, let's just move out to Oregon. (laughs) 
Let's just you move just somewhere. Yes. We had a couple of <laughs> friends that had gone out there. It was kind of on our radar as a place we wanted to kind of go anyway, but then they had moved out there and we're like, okay, well, we're coming too. So, <laughs> so we knew we just like, we can't go back to Missouri, right? We just, we had to do something fresh that kept that, those ideas flowing and not kind of easily go back into that kind of old life. And mm-hmm. so we moved out there for a couple of years and I knew that I, uh, wanted to study clay even more intensely. And so though I had gotten a, uh, I had gone back and just, it took me another year. I got a ceramics undergrad degree before going to the Peace Corps. So, <laughs> um, okay. but a- so after the Peace Corps, I wasn't sure if I wanted to go to grad school or what, but, uh, there were a couple of potters out in Oregon. Uh, Tom Rohr, he worked at a community college, let me come out and start working in the studios. Um, and then a potter just south of Eugene, where I was living, Hiroshi Ogawa, he had a wood kiln and had a community of potters that would come out and help fire the kiln. Um, and once I, uh, I knew that I had enjoyed wood firing in undergrad and knew I wanted to kind of pursue that a little bit more. So I just randomly ran into him at an art opening in Portland uh, and asked him if I could come down and fire. Um, and usually people who fired with him paid money to have space in the kiln and be a part of it. Okay. And so uh, he said, sure, you can do that if you come down and split wood and mix glazes and clean the studio. So oh, um, earn your keep. <laughs> yeah, right. So I kind of had a, an in, like an informal, uh, you'd say, apprenticeship with him nice. um, and had an amazing experience there. You know, I told him what I was doing and what I was interested in. And I said, I, you know, I really want to get my work good enough to uh, apply to grad school. And so he, he helped me do that. Like he was almost like, a, it was almost like going to grad school already. If I'd only known <laughs> at the right. time, uh, cause he would critique my work and, and, and make suggestions. And, you know, of you course, have saved all that money. I know, right? a really good experience. <laughs> Oh, but it sounds like, you know, each of these experiences just led you down the path you were supposed to go to get to where you are. Yeah. Yeah. Honestly. Yeah. So definitely. So that's awesome. Yeah. yeah. Well, so tell me, tell me a little bit about your family, your husband, your daughter, and kind of how you guys all navigate this, this life now. Yeah. My husband, he's working in the studio with me now. We have an eight-year-old daughter. Um, and so she's kind of goes along with us to most shows now and hangs in the studio and it's almost a, you know, family affair now. <laughs> um, okay. yeah, he was in antiques and an auction business. He's a third generation auctioneer, um, had his own really? company for a while. Yeah. Yeah. So does he do like that? Was he be the one who stands up and does the calling oh, yeah. out like oh, that, yeah. <laughs> this color, this color, this color. Oh my God. That's awesome. Uh, yeah. Yeah. He's, uh, he's called auctions since he was 15, I guess. So, which he wow. grew up in it. So, yeah, yeah. Um, but so he, uh, we moved up to, we moved to Kansas City and, uh, he started doing a, a few more kind of online auctions, this and that. And, uh, and then eventually decided that he didn't want his own business. <laughs> so okay. he still enjoys doing the, his family's auction business is about two hours away. So he gets to go help with it on occasion okay. and, and still enjoys it. But and what um, does he do for with, for, with you in the studio? Yeah. So he, um, well, in 2020, the plan was he was putting his auction business aside and he was going to join me in the studio and we were going to do our first full year of, of a full lineup of art fairs, right? Like previous <laughs> right. to that, we'd only done like maybe two, three tops a year and they were all in the area. So 
you know, we're like, all right. And we're then gonna, the whole world you know. shut down, right? <laughs> That's right, of course, you know. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, things dropped out, but we just kind of, you know, hung on to what we could and uh, we still just stuck with it. He still just stayed in the studio and worked with me. Um, and at this point, he helps like seal and prep all of the my painting panels. Mm. Um, he does a lot of grunt work. <laughs> Yeah, right. <laughs> and uh, he, um, he even, uh, like, he'll even help me kind of prep clay. He helps package and ship, do all of that kind of stuff. And then when we go to the shows, uh, he is usually the one to set up. So we kind of switch on and off with our eight-year-old. So I'll try to help set up. And then once it's like the eight-year-old's done... <laughs> and it's just right. more, more like, you know, it's harder for her to be there than it is easier. So then I'll take off with her and let him just, he does mainly set up and take down and I hang with our daughter and then we switch for the weekend. So they get to go out and have fun, go to the museums a, and things. And uh, yeah. I work the show all weekend. So yeah. That's a wonderful balance that, you know, it's like the, there's so much more that goes into our careers than just the creation of the art. And to have a partnership like that, it makes it makes it work. It makes it viable, you know? Yeah, it's it's a lot of fun. I mean, we it took a while for us to find our roles within it so that we didn't mm-hmm. like step on each other's toes constantly. <laughs> yeah. Which I'm sure you and Renee have, you know. <laughs> we you did. Do it long I mean, enough. you know, the two of us were both the artists, so we are integral in the design and the execution of each piece. Sure. But then you throw in the whole the whole kid thing. Yeah. And we're not the traditional family where it's like Renee would have never thought that she would have done the woman's work and I mm-hmm. would have done the man's work. But for <laughs> some reason, it just kind of happened that way. Uh-huh. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I Right. Right. I know. Mm-hmm. Well, when before we were doing a full line of art fairs, you know, I was kind of in that more traditional role while my daughter was young. And then now it's completely switched. Like my husband's mm. the, you know, does drop off and pick up at school. And, you know, right. he's usually the one like cooking dinner and doing the laundry and I'm staying late in the studio. And um, yeah. so the roles have kind of switched in our household. I mean, and but. it's, it, that's great. I mean, that's, that's really what a true partnership is and should be where it's a, where the roles get defined based on what the needs of the family are, you know, yeah. and not necessarily by what society says is supposed to be done. Yeah. Right, <laughs> yeah. right. No, I love it. I mean, it, I did, I had no idea art fairs were really like this, <laughs> that they okay. were so independent. And like, I, I mean, I feel like my husband and I enjoy traveling. And so we're like, wow, this is a perfect combination for us <laughs> to be right. like, this is our business, but also we get to travel and see all over the United States. And, uh, you know, we, when we don't have an art fair for a while, which we don't, for a couple of months, we have a some downtime. We're like we're itching to get on the road for sure, mm. and so it's nice that both of us love it, and and our daughter too most of the time. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> is is she in school or does she have like a homeschool program or how, how do you do in, that? She's in a small private Waldorf school, and so oh, okay. we can take her out as much as possible, as much as we want, and uh, as much as you want. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but we are thinking of of doing a little bit of a homeschool combo for next, next year. It's really interesting. You know, people would ask us about that if we would ever consider doing that. And our first reaction was no way. But nowadays I have some family members whose kids do 
what would be considered homeschool, but it's so hybrid. It's so integrated. Mm. It's really cool what's available now that can be done on on the computer, but then they also will get together for for social time in in right. certain activities and stuff because there are so many things that kids need that traditional homeschooling doesn't from the olden days doesn't right. really cut it, you know? Yeah, I know. Well, in my idea of homeschooling previously years ago was very different from like mm. you say what people do, are doing now and the resources available and the social groups that can get together. And I mean, we found that when we are on the road, you know, we're pretty well homeschooling, like we're, you know, even mm-hmm. the museum, taking her out to museums and this and that. And we practiced, you know, telling time on the way down to Florida this year, mm-hmm. you know, uh, using the clock. So, and then w- uh, she loves meeting up with the other art fair kids. <laughs> okay. Who, <laughs> like she's got some, some buddies the on the road. Um, who are well, some so- of the art fair families out there nowadays yeah, with little um, kids. Yeah, well, Yakin Neal has a couple of oh, kids. Right. And so we mm-hmm. met up with them at Houston. And, uh, um, you know, my husband and his wife took the kids to the aquarium and they hung out in the behind the booth just playing. Awesome. And yeah, um, Bryce McCausland, he has a young, a couple of young kids that they homeschool and bring to the shows. So we've met up with them and, uh, that's and then great. there's it's a, a whole new generation. I know yeah. uh Duke Clausen and I talked and he considered his his daughters growing up as free range kids. Their uh, idea of the art fairs was like, I mean, your daughter's way too young for that, but they would just kind of roam and get into all oh, sorts right. of mischief and stuff. Yeah. Well, there are times that I don't know where she is. I'm like, hold on, wait a second. <laughs> wait a minute. <laughs> I'm like, Eric, where where's Yeah, but yeah, it's it's pretty fun. Yeah. Well, the last thing I wanted to talk to you about, and we've talked, I don't want to make it too long of a convo because we've talked a lot about juries lately on on the show. Um, But specifically what I wanted to talk about is you and I were on the Art in the Pearl jury. And uh, it was a nice experience in my opinion. I don't know. How Mm -hmm. did you, what was your reaction yeah, I thought it was a great experience. I mean, I've had I've had good experiences on some other juries. This one just had this feeling of and I think maybe you had mentioned this even previously though about how you could really just go with your gut reaction and mm. to the work and the mm-hmm. quality of the work. Often discussion muddles it quite a bit and mm-hmm. so we had limited discussion unless it was something that really pertained to, you know, buy sell or um issues mm-hmm. with certain artwork and it just felt like a a nice clean very fair way to jury a show. I liked it too. Totally, yeah. yeah. I, I, it's it's incredible how even just the slightest question, which I think is needed. I mean, I truly like, for example, like a jewelry thing, and and what's what's going on mm-hmm. here. Yeah. But even just a just a reaction or a sigh or whatever can make me go, oh, do they have a different mm. reaction than I have? Sure. Because this is how I'm taking it, and right. and then I'm thinking, I'm getting in my head about it. And I'm like, no, I mm-hmm. need to stay in that that mode of letting it hit and yeah. and scoring and not not scoring based on what I think Erica thinks or what, you know, Patricia thought or whatever. And I felt like if we would have gotten into a debate about it, it would have felt almost like a a politicking kind of thing. Sure. I Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think a lot of times the comments aren't very constructive and helpful uh, within juries to help Mm. you select the best work. And I think especially when 
you're just looking at the images and a small statement by everyone. And so then when comments start coming in, unless it's something that, you know, is very relevant because it's like against the rules to yeah. be doing mm-hmm. this, right? right. Um, or if it's a comment about like, I don't know a- enough about jewelry, right? And so yeah. to have a jeweler on that jury is great because they can tell me that like, oh, those parts are purchased and put together as opposed to handcrafted or things like that. So very relevant information. But whenever a lot of times I think just personal, you know, uh, experiences other artists have had with other artists come into play whenever the discuss in the discussion can get out of hand and emotional mm-hmm. even yeah. uh, to the point of I just feel like mm, this th- 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 it, I feel like it's much more fair um, when everyone's just presenting images a short statement uh, and we keep it pretty simple and clean I feel like that's feel, f- feels like the fairest fairest way <laughs> it does and I also feel like it is about integrity. Even though we know some of the work that might be before us, mm-hmm. I had the courage, like I know all of us had the courage, to really score it based on how I felt, not on how I feel mm-hmm. about the person, but right. on the work. Yeah. And I know another jury happened recently, and it's been just about any of the shows I've been at lately. That's been the topic of like, mm. oh my God, I didn't get in. What's yeah. going on? Three of the jurors gave me a bad score. Who were they? I Mm. know they didn't reveal the names of the juror, but to be juror number one, four, and five Mm. and be like, people would be like, oh my God, who who scored me like that? I thought they were my (laughs) friends. And it adds such a level of stress Uh, that is just, it's it's a lot. It's a lot to deal with. Yeah, yeah. No, I felt like the jury that we were on it made it so much simpler. Like it took the stress off of the jurors. Um, mm-hmm. And I feel like several, like, I don't know what, like what your personal preferences are or any of right. the other jurors, because we only discuss more kind of just like things that really applied to whether we, you know, this was excellent work. Did it follow the rules? Um, you know, all the of those technical things. So, components yeah, to it. Right, right, exactly. And so I, I appreciate not knowing th- what the other jurors really like. They're just kind of personal subjective opinions are on something. And so like s- jur- juries that I've been on before, though, like it can be such a strange beast. That's what I feel like one of the shows that I helped jury, I felt like this show is a five-headed monster. <laughs> oh. Five jurors. Five, like mm. it was all, we all fought for like some of our top uh, artists that we thought should definitely be in the show. But let's say three jurors thought definitely not. Um, and so there was this weird kind of shifting of like, I felt like, you know, we would all kind of fight for our tops. And so then there would be, kind of an interesting mix of, I feel like, who got in the show in a way. And this show also requested that there's, you know, a certain kind of quota for each, you know, category, oh, right? Okay. And so uh-huh. there was more discussion, I think, whenever that's the case. Um, mm. So I feel a little bit lucky that what we, the show we were during, uh, mm. didn't have that, those requirements, any quotas for any mediums mm. either. Because then it does feel like people start just chatting more. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I it, I mean, there have been shows that I feel like, like, I, I know the opinions and what type of work that some of the jurors like, and I can, like, the comments made and stuff, like, I can tell that you've got a split jury, and so you're going to have a really different show. Whereas, like, with the show we juried, I 
don't know at all. Like I actually still don't know who even got in the show, right? What the sh- right. full overall show looks like. So right. Um, it just feels a little bit, it feels, I, I don't know, it feels a little bit more blind and fair in that sense. I, um, mm-hmm. I, I, and I do ap- that. My, um, my comment earlier from like listing the jurors and the score mm. scores, I really do appreciate when shows want to be transparent about the process. Mm. I get that. Yeah. And I almost feel like in this case, maybe being too transparent. Is mm. is it doing any good? Because mm. you know you have five jurors this year. It's going to be five different jurors next year. It's going right. to be five different jurors the next year. Yeah. So getting that info of what those jurors reacted to your work doesn't isn't. mean squat, right? When it comes to the next five you. jurors, right? It doesn't really help you improve. I like the transparency as well. I think transparency is great. The, I was uh, worried about comments though because. I feel like a lot of times they get taken out of context or they're mm-hmm. not super constructive, uh, things like that. And so I would hate for an artist to get a negative comment on something, but from one juror that says something that maybe the rest of the jurors completely disagree. And, yes. uh, and then they take that to heart and like either are like, okay, I'm done with this, right? And just stop making because, you know, that's can be pretty painful sometimes or or they make they changes change. to their body yeah. of work or right. the direction they're going yeah. based on one, one comment person's comment the nature that, of the beast is yeah. we we don't remember all of the the glowing comments or whatever yeah. we think about that one that random one head scratcher <laughs> Right, right, right. So I worry about that in, um, with, with the comments. So they can be helpful, but they can also be, you know, hurtful yeah. and, and not yeah. helpful. But yeah. And we're not dishing any other, any, any show's process. We're just giving a, having no. a discussion about no. it. Yeah, <laughs> just that's a right. discussion. That's right. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's interesting. And like as artists, you know, it's like, I want to understand that side of things. And so many shows right. do it so differently. And, and, uh, and there's you know. reasons, but I mean, yeah. it's good to hear how it affects somebody who is g- getting that information and wondering what they can do with it. You know, the yeah. person who's been juried, mm-hmm. and then also the point of view from the actual people who are doing the jurying to know yeah. what kind of stress that puts the jury yeah, under. Sure, sure. I mean, I've gotten you know emails after jurying shows <laughs> from really? very unhappy people before, and. Uh, I'm like, I thought Remember, we were I was friends, one Erica. <laughs> That's right, exactly. <laughs> right. <laughs> like I didn't I'm have one the... out of five, please. <laughs> mm-hmm. Exactly. But, yeah. yeah. But it's... that actually was when we did the jury for Art in the Pearl, when at first it's a slower process just because we're all trying to find our, you know, find our rhythm with it. Yeah. And what helped me find my rhythm was I might be getting this one wrong. On either way, down mm. a low score or high score, but yeah. I'm confident that the other the other ones have my back and they're yeah. going to catch my mistake. Yep. You know, yep. I felt the same way, and I loved like we had a one through ten scoring, yeah. and I've been on one you know juries that was either like a yes no or a one through five don't use three type of a scoring, mm-hmm. um, and I felt so much better on the one through ten because I felt like. I could get like score in that middle range if I felt like, you know what? I think the other jurors probably know more information. I'm not quite sure on this one. And so that way I, it was almost like I let the other jurors skew the scoring a little Mm -hmm. bit. Whereas if I was definitely a no or definitely a yes, if I threw a one or a 10 out, it definitely, I think 
overall helped push that person into it. You know, like more options for nuance. Yeah, yeah. So I felt like if I felt strongly, it actually had a more a, more of an effect than that. You know, really short one to five ranges is, is hard or yes no. <laughs> and I did like on this one where it was like you said one to ten. We couldn't mm-hmm. score the middle scores, the middle yeah, three. Right. So I kind of felt like, mm-hmm, but yeah. that reaction was, okay, I know they're above the middle range or I know they're below the middle range mm-hmm. from my, you know, when I yeah. was juring. And yeah. now I, within that, where does that, you get three right. numbers, mm-hmm. to, <laughs> three numbers to do that. So they were the high part of low or the low yeah. part of high. Yeah. And then anyway. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so. I know. It's, well, this was a good talk, Erica. I really enjoyed sitting down and learning about you and your process and, well, and yeah, kind of what thanks. makes you happen, yeah. <laughs> what makes you tick. <laughs> thanks. thanks for having me. Yeah, it was fun. Yeah, cool. So what do you got next? What are you, what are you getting ready for? Uh, just kind of a string of show. I'll be at Des Moines and Cherry Creek, um, and then we'll head out west in uh, August. So kind of well, trying to make, make, make for the yes. Well, I think I'll be at both of those with you. We just got the call from Denver that we got pulled from the wait list. Oh, sweet. That's exciting. Yes. I know, wait list. You never know, right? (laughs) That's great. It was an exciting day when we heard that. Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. (laughs) We'll we'll see you out there at the next ones. And thanks so much. Appreciate it. All right. Thank you. Appreciate it. Bye-bye. Great talk with Erica Iman Douglas. I really appreciated bringing her voice to the show and to all of you folks out there. I, I enjoy spending time with with the work yeah. when I'm at a show with her and her husband, and then to to get to hear her talk is, was was really cool. My favorite part is when she said when she was teaching. And she said her favorite teachers were people who lived interesting lives and had interesting experiences and how that, you know, that contributes to the work. And I really was really great hearing about that history in the Peace Corps and her travels through Asia that kind of set a course on what kind of life she wanted to lead, but then also the kind of work she wanted to make. So that was fun. I really enjoyed that that insight. Yeah, I loved that part as well. And I didn't like the part of the the jury discussion at the end because I disagreed with you. Oh, really? <laughs> you like the you like the 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 banter part where people can write the part you know, where people it can boils say down to this, I think, and it depends on the kind of jury that you have. I think you guys at Art and the Pearl had a very educated panel, and it was it was all people that knew what they were looking at. Sure. Uh, and I think where it, when it boils down to a jury. Once you start bringing in community members and things like that, and it's like, okay, they may not know what they are even looking at. Sometimes those mm-hmm. talks can be a lot more crucial to the process. I agree. I, I see what you're saying. If 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 it isn't all artists on the jury, mm-hmm. I totally can see what you're saying on that one. Yeah. Also, I mean, I think that, that so many different shows um, – run their juries in different ways. And I think that's fine. I don't, I, I'm kind of against uh, an overall homogenized, every rule works for every show. I don't think that mm-hmm. that's true. I think different juries for different, different things. There can be some standardization between shows, but you're right. If there's details within the context of how a particular show's focus is, if they are, let's say they are a chamber of commerce versus an art center that's providing arts for kids all year round. They have different intentions and focuses. So mm-hmm. it only makes sense that they're going to tailor their show differently for whatever reason. Sure. Yeah. Exactly. So. Exactly. All right. So, enough about us all, all episode. I think it's uh, 
we should wrap this up and get back to the studio. What do you say? My studio is a mess. We will uh, talk soon. I got to pack some stuff up and head north up to your part of the country. All right. Well, safe trip and see you soon. Thanks, brother. Bye. This podcast is brought to you by the National Association of Independent Artists. The website is naiaartists.org. Also sponsored by Zapplication. That's zapplication.org. And while you're at it, find us on social media and engage in these conversations. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast to be notified when we release new episodes. Oh, and if you like the show, we'd love it if you would give us your five-star rating and offer up your most creative review on your podcast streaming service. See you next time.